0: Is the Bear Cast presented by Bird Colchin Ford? Bird Culcian Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The Bearcast is also presented by Well Med Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome into the Bearcast here on dot 365com I'm Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson and Grunhafer, and we come to you following game number one of the season. And for the Baylor Bears, well, game number one was not a sweet start and a you know big time celebration because football was back, albeit maybe briefly it was that, but by the end of Saturday night and the end of game number one. Disaster had struck as Baylor falls to Texas State 42 31 in the opener to move to 0 1 on the season. And now they lick their wounds, and we'll talk a bit about that. But they have little time to breathe because they now must turn their attention towards a very capable and very, uh, you know, nasty program in the best kind of way I can give that as a compliment. a uh, Physical, hard nosed. Winning, well-coached football team is up next in the Utah Utes, a future Big 12 conference made starting next year, and they beat up on Florida to start their year one and zero, and so they'll be rolling into McLean Stadium here in just a few days. So a lot to get to from the loss to now, what's next with Utah? But uh, Grayson, we wanted football back, we got football back, uh, despite Baylor's outcome uh, in particular. Uh, still a, a fun week just to have games and have results all the way up through last night with uh, Duke's big upset over Clemson, uh, but obviously uh, big expectations for Baylor football rolling into this season, and that's what we're here to talk about, and it was, uh well not the grand uh, opener that we thought we would probably
1: see against the Texas State Bobcats. No, definitely not. I mean, this was one of those performances that you'll put up there with some of the worst performances Baylor's ever had in its history. And that's pretty crazy to say that, but when you compare expectations to what happened on the field, this is kind of what you get. And you get storylines like I posted during the game. This is very similar. I put Liberty 2.0 because – This game reminded me of that, and for different reasons, obviously, and we can debate which one's worse and all that. That's fine, but how you felt leaving the stadium after watching what you just saw, it was one of those where it's like, wow, this is baffling that this just happened. This is not the team that you thought Baylor was going to have out there in week one, and now it's about trying to figure out how can they get better uh, and move forward. Uh, From a game against the second worst team, at least heading into the season, the presumable second worst team on their schedule. And how do you rebound from that? But yeah, overall, I mean, really disappointing performance. Baylor did not play well. um, And now they're going to have to regroup because they're going to play a team that is probably going to be a top 10 team in the AP poll come this week. Uh, yeah, I think those rankings are dropping today, right? Yeah. Those are already out. Um, I haven't looked at them just yet, but I
0: would imagine that, yeah, Utah's up there pretty high. Um, but the last game wrapped up last night, so those are out, I believe. And uh, we'll double-check on that. But, um, yeah, massive disappointment. Uh, I think this was worse than Liberty. Uh, they were two kinds of bad. Liberty was bad because you were just grasping for anything positive whatsoever after months of bad publicity and bad press and just bad juju and bad, you know um, – I guess backlash to every little thing that could, you know, be said positively about Baylor. It was shouted down or, um, you know, the daily outside the lines reports and all that. That's what was going on. And then just get punched in the gut by Liberty when you had a brand new coach come in after all of that weight, like the whole year of Jim Grobe and a whole year of having to sort through all sorts of a mess. You finally got this new start and Matt rule walked straight into sludge and he was up to his waist in it, you know, before even coaching a game and successfully eventually maneuvered his way out. But, yeah, that that opener against Liberty, it was a bad feeling because you felt like, hey, things are going to return to normal and we're going to be able to focus Mm -hmm. on football. And it's like, oh, my gosh, football's back and it's worse than ever. They just lost to Liberty. But most of that was just all of the nastiness from the situation itself. This was none of that. This was just the pure football standpoint and the fact that this team's now lost five games in a row – um, whether you want to you know, carry over last year or not, that's just only natural to do. And so they are on a losing streak in a, in a major way. And to play an opponent that you feel like, yes, yeah, is probably your second most winnable game on the schedule and to perform uh, the way that they did uh, in this first game. Hey, first games you see a lot of like teams ironing out the kinks and they're a little bit slow to start, but this was just the kind of start that um, – Really left a bad taste in your mouth, and I think for most people since Saturday, like I know, forty eight hours removed for me, I'm not as uh, negative on what we saw. Like I'm a little bit more uh, open minded to why, who, what, where, when, and and the possibilities of it getting better. But uh, man, Saturday night walking out of McLean Stadium, it was it was up there with one of the worst. Results
1: that I'd seen in about a decade of covering this football team. Right. So, I guess there were a couple things that when I looked at the two that I think stood out, the Liberty and the Texas State game. Liberty was an FCS team. So, that does matter when you're talking about quality of opponent for sure. So, keep that in mind. Uh, Baylor was picked sixth this year in the preseason media poll. That Baylor team was picked seventh. So, again, very close there. So, you can see the reasons for similarities. Obviously, the differences are Matt Rule's first year, Dave Randa's fourth year—that's a big difference. I would also say probably the biggest difference, and the one that makes this worse, is the simple fact that in that Liberty game, that Baylor team was clearly really bad. Like they did not have talent, but at least they played hard. Like they played hard in that game. They just were overmatched, which is shocking uh, against an FCS team. But. It just felt like they just literally weren't the better team that day, didn't have the talent to to do anything to change the script in that game. But this game, it really felt like the difference for me was just simply who wanted this game more, who came out and actually played hard to start this game, Who, who was more prepared. And that's a problem. When you can't show up your first game of the year after losing four straight games at the end of the season, that's inexcusable to me. And that was the biggest disappointment in my eyes from that game.
0: Yeah, I mean, we can compare and contrast, um, but they were both bad, uh, bad. for yeah. equally different reasons. Uh, I would say that this was a more um, lopsided game. The Liberty game, it was tied at halftime. This was 28-13. to 13. Mm-hmm. You were down. The Liberty game, uh, you were down by three going into the third quarter. Uh, In this game, it was, what, uh, 35 to 24 heading into the fourth quarter that you were down. Uh, So, uh, the Liberty game was actually at least a bit more competitive. Uh, This one, Texas State, like, had a lead, and they held on to it for the majority of the game, and uh, you're right, though, in that I think a couple of days removed, you can kind of go like, well, hey, if Monterey Baldwin catches the football, that's a touchdown, if Sawyer Robertson doesn't fumble in the open field. Like, there's a chance that, you know, I mean, there's, like, little
1: things if you can— If they don't hand the ball to Gavin Yates yeah. on fourth and one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a
0: lot of things you can unpack. So let's go ahead and do that and wash this from our memory for the rest of the year, even though it will linger because depending on what they do, if they go out and beat Utah, you'll say, well, how did they lose to Texas State, right? Um, but at least you'd feel a lot better about the direction. If they go out and lose to Utah, well, then you're 0-2. You've lost six straight games, and, uh, well, the, the mood's not going to be that much greater— but uh, regardless, you've got to keep trudging forward because there's a lot of games left to play one way or the other. And so not the start that you wanted, but uh, it is what it is. And let's unpack it here. And then we'll also get into uh, what's taking place this week. Uh, for example, Blake Shapin's injury, the big uh, note of the uh, of the week so far and hopefully the biggest note that you know comes out so far. But that one, um, just a, a double whammy because he played so hard in this game. Uh, he was not the... Key issue to why they lost this football game, um, in in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, certainly, like, hey, if you want a throwback or something like that's fine. But he's not where you point your finger. But we do know that uh, he is going to miss the next uh, two to three weeks with an MCL injury that he was trying to play through during the game until they finally just pulled the plug and said, "Nope, we can't put you back in there." Um, but man, that's that's brutal news. Uh, before we just get started here and. And the biggest story of the week is that now Sawyer Robertson is going to be the starting quarterback for at least the next couple of games. Uh, Utah, most importantly, up first. But uh, that was a, a double whammy. And there were other injuries we'll get to as well. But that one in particular, that just, that's one game into the, the season, and
1: things have already drastically changed there. Right, and Blake Shapin was an absolute warrior in this game. And I know you said he wasn't the main reason that they lost this game. I mean, he was the only reason that this wasn't a 30-point blowout. I mean, some of the throws he was making while getting absolutely pummeled um, was remarkable. I mean, the play where he got hurt was actually, what, a 54-yard touchdown to Drake Dabney? I mean, the guy was just making plays while getting hit the entire game, standing in the pocket, delivering while his offensive line was not blocking for him at all. Uh, They had no run game, uh, 108 yards rushing is all they could muster. So he didn't even have a run game to protect him, and he still went out there, threw for 303 yards, two touchdowns, was very much in control of the game as far as You know, the passing game Uh, from that standpoint, I also felt like there were a lot of times during that game where he was being much more vocal than we've ever seen him in the past, trying to talk to his offensive line, trying to get them on the same page, doing everything he could uh, to really try to be a leader out on the field, which that's an encouraging sign. But you're exactly right. It's really tough. We heard from Dave Aranda this week, just kind of talking about how Blake Shapin has made these big strides and really wanted to prove a lot of things. And he didn't want to come out of the game. But Aranda just made the decision that, hey, man, like, we can't protect you. We got to take you out of this game. And so Sora Robertson comes in. But I'm hurting for Blake Shapin because based on what Aranda said, what we heard all offseason, he wanted this just about probably more than anyone else.
0: Yeah, he went out and won the job, uh, and I thought that he showed great leadership on Saturday, so just a bummer that, um, you know, all that work, and right out of the gates, you get hurt, and now you're going to be out for at least a couple of games, and, um, you know, availability is the best kind of ability, but that wasn't like, oh, man, he's just so injury-prone. That's like, yeah, you're injury-prone when you line up and just get slammed into by dudes over and over again, like, yeah, like, I'm going to be injured, you're going to be injured, we're all going to be injured if we take that many hits, and um, that was not all on him That was one of the the other key issues coming out of this football game that we'll unpack, Um, and and there were a few that uh, will need to be addressed and improved upon for them to stand a chance this Saturday against Utah, but let's dive into it here. We're not going to bog down on every single series, because otherwise we'll be here for two hours, but we'll do our best to cover as much ground as possible. As uh, Texas State was the team to receive the opening kickoff uh, in this contest, and Drew it up perfectly, right? Three and out uh, to start the year and exactly what you wanted to do defensively. Matt Palich making his big debut, and you force a punt, and hey, what about this great Texas State offense? That was easy. Go go get a punt and get your offense out into the field, and here comes Blake Shapin and the Bears, and they start moving the football down the field. Very first place, 40-yarder to Hal Presley, and you're like, I mean, granted, it should have been picked off, could have been picked off. It was not the most beautiful throw, at least that first one. But how Presley jumps up and makes a tough catch, and you're like, hey, that's what you needed to see, right? You wanted the receivers to go up and make big, tough catches? Well, the very first play, like, exactly like you wanted it. And then a false start penalty uh, down at the goal line, uh, at the one-yard line, to be exact, and everything fell apart from there. Like... <laughs> that first false start, and then everything was pretty much downhill after that. Uh, as Baylor loss of one yard, one yard completion to Jake Roberts. So now you're at the seven. Uh, because you've had a false start and now a loss of a yard, so you've been backed up from the one-yard line. One-yard pass to Jake Roberts, incomplete pass on third down, and Isaiah Hankins has to kick a 23-yard field goal and what would be some foreshadowing on the night. But if you want to count up missed opportunities and where things could have gone differently – Drive number one, when you had a false start on the one-yard line, they ended up having to kick a field goal four plays later.
1: Yeah, I mean, Texas State's first drive, they dropped like a 40-yard completion where Bryson Jackson completely fell down, and Ashton Hawkins just completely dropped it. And that should have been a sign of things to come because sure. they continued to attack that matchup all night long, Texas State did. And you're exactly right. I mean, that false start, you cannot have that on the one-yard line. Like, you just cannot. Just go on one if you're – if you. Don't feel like you can uh, actually get a snap-off on a two-counter, a three-counter, anything like that. It was baffling, and it happened five times throughout the game, five false starts, I believe. It might have been six, but that one definitely was uh, pretty punishing and and something that, again, like you said, I I don't know that they recovered from, honestly.
0: Yep, so you're right. They got lucky, um, got their three and out, got a big play down the sidelines, got down to the one-yard line, wasn't so lucky, ended up kicking a field goal, And then it was on after that. Texas State gets the ball, eight plays, 75 yards in two minutes and 44 seconds. A 10-yard touchdown pass from T.J. Finley to Ishmael Mahdi. And just like that, Texas State is up 7-3. to So, um, yeah, you're in a hole. But, hey, we just moved the football. It's all going to be fine in the long run. I'm sure everyone's telling themselves at that point in time. Uh, but then Baylor comes back out on the field, and instead of driving it down the field or getting the big pass play, false start, first down, uh, and again, another sign of things, that we're not even halfway to the false starts, we'll get there though, um, Dominic Richardson, one yard run, Gavin Yates, an eight yard completion, Blake Shapin nothing on the quarterback keeper, and a punt, and... Um, just like that, Texas State has the ball back, and sure enough, uh, a nice break in this game as they would fumble just two plays later as T.J. Finley actually had somebody get to him and actually, like, cause some disruption mm-hmm. for one of the only times on the night.
1: Um, but he does uh, get... Uh, sacked and then fumbles the football. Yeah, Devontae Tizeno with the sack and then yep. Trey Wilson the true freshman with the fumble recovery. Pretty crazy that your two young guys, yeah. unproven guys are the ones that were actually out there making plays at least early. And that was a great sign as well. Yeah. I mean, hey, you get a turnover um
0: and as you mentioned, I remember when I saw Tazino's name I was like, "Oh, wow, Devontae Tizeno." Like, "Okay, cool. That's that's big for him." Uh Baylor turns that after the uh break there or the the Forced break. I mean, you forced the fumble. They turned that into another field goal drive uh, where they're unable to move the football. Got it at the 35, ended up at the 35. Five plays later. Uh, incomplete pass. Uh, let's see. Blake Shapin sacked after the false start penalty, right? Uh, then incomplete pass. Um, had another penalty that was an automatic first down. Pass interference. The Keytron uh, caused the pass interference on that. Okay, yeah. So the first uh, the penalty there. Then Hal Presley runs for three. False start Baylor. Blake shaping to Keyshawn Jackson. Loss of two. False start Baylor. Incomplete pass. And then Isaiah Hankins has to come in and kick a 53-yard field goal, which he does, and it is now 7-6. to six. So All of this, you've had four false start penalties already. And, like, I get it, man. It's a young offensive line, and it's the first game, and, and all of that we have to account for. But that was just... That was brutal uh, in the first quarter. I mean, that was that nerves and whatever. I know Aranda said after the fact, like the bright lights and all that, but I mean, geez Louise, like Texas State didn't have four false start no. penalties
1: in their you know first two drives or whatever. But. Well, and that's what you get when you bring in, in three incarnate word transfers to play your offense line. Guys who are used to the system, older guys, and this was a big reason why we talked about it a lot. I felt like Baylor should have taken another offense lineman in the transfer portal, an older guy. They elected not to, and the right side of their offensive line had a terrible performance on Saturday. Now, they are young. First start. I understand all that. They should get better, but my goodness, the start to this game. just I mean, you're at second and seven on this drive. You have a great opportunity to stay ahead of the chains. Instead, it's false start, false start long field goal. And that's another, and I don't want to keep dwelling on the comparison, but that's another major difference between this game and
0: Liberty. You've had the transfer portal. You've had it for multiple years, and so that was not, you know, in the cards for Matt Rule, where he could just come swoop in and like, what's the problems? Let's attack this. Well,
1: and flip side, it wasn't in the cards for Liberty either, because Texas State used the transfer portal almost more than everyone else. And
0: that's fair, but when you have deficiencies, and you're like, well, what's wrong with the old line Baylor's the type of school where they should be able to have gone in the Mm offseason and corrected these types of things, so you can question if you want to, even though they went heavy the transfer portal, you can still go like, well, did we need another offensive lineman? Maybe we
1: needed another offensive lineman. And why I, do they have open scholarship spots? Yeah, That's um, question. I don't
0: know, yeah. but uh, the false starts were problematic right out of the gates and, and clearly have hurt them at this point. Uh, so then, uh, where are we? 7-6, uh, and then Texas State, a one-minute three-play drive as they hit the bomb. Ishmael Mahdi, 65-yard touchdown on third down and three and all of a sudden, it's 14 6. And because you've just kicked a couple field goals, now you're not only down by a touchdown, you're down by eight, which just makes you feel a little bit more pressure. I feel like. I just automatically, you're like, ooh, that almost feels like two scores, right? Because you have to make a two point conversion at some point or make up that point. And so, what's the response? Three and outs. Uh, Baylor punts after not being able to do anything. Incomplete pass, run for no gain from Dominic Richardson. And then Blake Shapin gets sacked, a loss of nine. And that was the first quarter, uh, so just a, a b- ugly, bad first opening frame where you had a couple opportunities, especially that very first drive, to make it look a lot different. But instead, it's fourteen to six, and uh, you're punting the ball back. And Texas State, like, let's not let's let's take our time here. Thirteen plays, sixty yards, five and a half minute drive. They take a twenty-one to six lead after just uh, you know. Driving it down the field and eventually a 27 yard touchdown from TJ Finley to Denario Davenport. And now the Bears are down 21 to 6. And, uh, A little bit of concern starting to set in at
1: this point. Well, and this was the ultimate get-off-the-field drive. This was their problem last year, and it crept up on them on this drive. Third and 15, T.J. Finley, 16-yard completion to Cole Wilson. Fourth and five, T.J. Finley, completion to Ashton Hawkins for six yards. Barely getting the first down, but you're getting the first down. Fourth and four, T.J. Finley, pass complete to Ashton, Ashton Hawkins for five yards. Just guys running to the sticks and getting a first down because Baylor was playing off coverage and they were just attacking the safeties. I mean, these are all slot guys for the most part that are making these plays. And again, Baylor's got to find ways to get off field. They absolutely have to. They couldn't do it last year and they didn't do it in game one. And this drive was probably the biggest example of that.
0: Yep, uh, multiple fourth down conversions uh, was a sign of things to come as well. So this first half, uh, you know, you you were getting a feel for sort of what was shaping up and what was... Uh, working against them and what was going to be, you know, something that needed to be fixed at some point, but never really got fixed uh, on the night. So, um, yeah, big, long drive. But to their credit, they answer. A big, emphatic answer. Nine-play, 72-yard drive. Um, Dominic Richardson featured at the start of this one, able to pick up some yardage, including a nice 32-yard run on third down and two. They completed another third and seven. Keytron Jackson got involved on this drive, got to see some flashes of why they like him. And uh, eventually... Blake Shapen on a tough run where he took a he willingly took one of those hits uh, right at the goal line still made you go ugh, cringe a little bit but it wasn't his upper body that you ended up being worried about by the end of the night it was his lower body so he gets in the end zone nice tough run it is um you know now once again a one score game um, but again um, just unable to play complimentary football and kind of you know follow one thing with another 12 plays, 75-yard drive from Texas State, so they had back-to-back drives with a total of 25 plays for, what was that, uh, like nine minutes or so, uh, spanning, you know, 75 yards and uh, 60 yards, so just a brutal uh, on the part of the Baylor defense to not be able to get off the field, but... Uh, They're able to convert a third and three, a third and two, a fourth and two, and then eventually get into the red zone and pound it in with a one-yard run from Jamal Jeter. So it's 28-13, to and uh, it's not looking good at this point. Baylor does get the ball back, and they get an opportunity to uh, drive the ball down the field and put some points on the board before the half, but... Um, line up, and you've hit a 53-yarder. So throw Isaiah Hankins out there, and just see if he can get something from 57 yards out. And he is no good. Missed the kick. 57-yarder. Um, so not going to, you know, disparage him too much for and that. And there was a
1: false start on and, this drive, which may have made that kick easier. You may have made it.
0: Yeah, yeah. perhaps. Uh, maybe he makes from 52. He had just made from 53, but yes, uh, he misses from 57, and that is how the first half went. So it's 28 to 13. At the half, and uh, how are you feeling at this point because there was um, a lot of missed opportunities clearly there, but there was a lot of just you know can't get off the field on defense uh, can't help but uh, move yourself back on offense and Still a lot of time to go, but I think you can start to feel sort of the, the fear creeping into a McLean Stadium at this point.
1: Yeah, so I think at this point, some of my main takeaways were just Baylor's unforced errors. And so false starts, they had five of them in the first half, and then you look around you go, okay, there were also multiple opportunities where Baylor had TJ Finley. It just felt like dead to rights as far as sacking him, and they just couldn't bring him down. And he was able to make plays escape, and it just felt like, okay, that's going to turn in the second half. The other part I was kind of looking at and going, okay, th- this could be interesting, was outside of those couple drives that Texas State had, you know, they play really fast. And you can force 30 second three and outs on them. And we saw that a couple times in the first half. But in the second half, I just felt like, okay, Baylor's going to get chances here but they're going to have to continue to move the football, continue to take advantage of those chances, and find a way to just get over the hump on third and fourth down. And if they do that, they can still win this game. I, I, honestly, at halftime, I was like, okay, they played about as bad as they possibly could. Now in the second half, if they just take advantage of some things, they're going to be able to make up some ground. Uh, but in general, you know, the offense line was terrible. The run game was terrible. Um, the only thing that was good was the pass game, and obviously the defense was terrible.
0: So, second half, uh, Baylor gets the ball first. They drive it down the field. Quick uh, drive, a nice long completion to Drake Dabney that made you feel pretty good about whatever was said at halftime. They cut the lead to 28-21 as uh, Shapen hits Dabney for 53 yards on third down and one near midfield. So, nice response. Problem is, again, you can't play complimentary football, score, get a stop, uh, because following drive, eight plays, 75 yards. Texas State answers emphatically and uh, pads their lead once again to where it's back to 14, 35-21 as T.J. Finley, uh, who is hard to bring down, uh, scrambles 16-yard run for a score on fourth down and three. So you had your big answer right out of the half, and then your defense gives up points, and it's just right back to square one, basically. Well,
1: and it is worth noting that, that touchdown for Baylor came with 13:21 left in the third quarter, and that's when Blake Shapen uh, hurt his AC or his MCL as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he got hit on that throw that led to the Drake Dabney touchdown, so that's when he was injured uh, early in the third quarter. Also, the TJ Finley touchdown run once again Texas State attacking Bryson Jackson, and this one put him in the read option. He ran right after the running back for no reason. It was fourth and three you got to take away the quarterback there. He did not. Finley walks in for a touchdown. If he plays, you know, Reed football, plays green, makes a play there, they probably get a stop. But once again, Baylor on fourth down, unable to get a stop.
0: Yep, so there you go. Trading touchdowns to start the second half, and now Blake Shapen is dinged up, as you mentioned. And sure enough, that following drive, uh, Baylor gets into a situation where they're down in Texas State territory on Uh, Third and six, an eligible receiver downfield. So now it's third and 11. You throw for 10 yards to Jonah Burton. And fourth and one, Um, this one, I don't know how you, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of things. I don't question the coaches on play calls too much. I don't pretend to be X's and O's mastermind and and know better than them in any way, shape or form. But why was Gavin Yates running the football? Uh, Like was Dylan Doyle like mistakenly identified as being on the team still because that worked really well last year in some cases. And do we realize this is also not that offensive line because they've clearly been ragdolled all night long. So we're going to put Gavin Yates in and get, I, I, this was puzzling to me to say the least. And you know, I'm not one that like bogs down on a play, but that one, I was just like, what in the world is going on here? It just, it made very little sense to me, even if it's been effective in the past, like I just outlined different offensive line, different game, different setting, different player. I just uh I, I didn't like that play call right there and uh and that was it could have been far more costly. Lucky for them it wasn't super costly, but I guess when you lost the game
1: it was in the end. Yeah, it was the worst play call of the game for sure. And the one that definitely makes you question some things. How that is how that handoff is not given to Dominic Richardson, I don't know. Like, you, I understand you want to run the football, and I'm totally okay with that, but you got to give it to someone who is a runner of the football. And I know Gavin Yates, maybe in the offseason, showed some things at fullback, but what you saw in that run was not good and clearly was evidence of, okay, maybe he's, you know, not quite – Not just not quite Dylan Doyle. He is not Dylan Doyle. So give the ball to Dominic Richardson or give the ball to Richard Reese. And maybe we'll see in the future if the offensive line gets better, maybe the handoff to Gavin Yates works. But in this particular game, that was not going to work. And so... That was a big issue of mine. I think if Blake Shapin wasn't hurt, maybe they would have ran a QB sneak. Obviously, that kind of wasn't available because he was injured. Um, but in general, just a very tough play call to justify, and one that almost really cost them not just getting back in the game, but it could have cost them, you know, kind of the game if Texas State would have scored on the next drive.
0: Yeah, and another drive where you had third and one and another false start penalty made it third and six. And then, uh, you had, um, uh... You know, another penalty then they made it third and eleven, and that's why your ten yard pass to Jonah Burton made it a fourth and one
1: because you had had the two plays prior to that. So false starts were that was bad, man. I actually think that was a first down too. I know they looked at it; it looked very. I don't know. It looked pretty, pretty dang close to me, but who what knows? Jonah Burton's mm-hmm. catch. Okay. Yeah, it looked very, very close to being. A first yeah, one. well, the play but that followed
0: that was um, not. <laughs> yeah, that was that was not good. Um, Texas State though coughs it right back up. Five plays later, uh, Denario Davenport fumbles the ball. Bryson Jackson recovers. So, hey, there's a little bit of life. It's 35-21. And uh, Baylor, uh, nine-play drive that ends in a field goal. Uh, as Isaiah Hankins is good from 24 yards out. So, he got a lot of work on the night, that's for sure. And it's forty-two twenty-four. 24 or excuse me, it's uh, 35-24. But it was soon... 42-24. This game was over as you just knew that there was going to be a, a a limit that was going to be reached where they were not going to be able to get stops and scores and now your quarterback's hurt and just it was uh, it was not going well um but a, a nice drive from Texas State, 6 play, 75 yards, 26-yard touchdown. TJ Finley to Joey Hobart, 42-24. Um but the Bears didn't go away. Nice long Twelve play, seventy-eight yard drive that took uh, almost five minutes and had a big fourth and eight conversion here, where Blake Shapin hit Drake Dabney uh, for twenty-two yards, converted a third and eight, uh, and then got down into uh, you know into the, the, the red zone inside the ten, and uh, eventually able to find Drake Dabney once again a little two-yard touchdown pass from Blake Shapen, and so it's. Uh, now 42-31. Defense gets a three and out. Hey, baby, what's going on here? There's momentum building. And then after a nice long drive, 12 plays, 64 yards, going in to make it a 42-38 to game and a pass uh, at this point thrown by Sawyer Robertson as he has to come in during the drive because Blake Shapin just can't go anymore at this point. He's able to come in and actually move the ball down the field. Looked pretty good. You're like, okay, this is still going to be all right. And you get down there, and what should have been just a massive score and a flipping of the game and maybe the outcome, and instead Monterey Baldwin can't hold it in. It gets picked off,
1: and... um, it's uh, still 42-31 rather than 42-38. Yeah, so this sequence just in general right here. Uh, Sora Robertson on that drive that you mentioned when the score was 42 to, I believe, 20 or 35-24, he hits Hal Presley on a 33-yard reception to get Baylor inside the three-yard line. Baylor settles for a field goal. You, you have got to be able to score a touchdown when you get down to the three-yard line and you have first and goal. They were unable to do that. Then on the next drive, like you said, Texas State scores – Then Baylor drives down the field and scores. They force the punt. And then on this drive, again, you're driving down the field. You have a great opportunity. You're inside the Texas State five-yard line. So, to put this in perspective, they were inside the five-yard line early in the game, settled for a field goal. Inside the five-yard line, again, a little bit later in the game, settled for a field goal. And then this one, intercepted pass. We can, you know, place blame on whoever. I understand they're... Theories that, you know, this was all on Monterey, and then theories on Sawyer's pass was a little bit behind him. I understand it all. I can see both viewpoints. But at the end of the day, this has to be a touchdown. There is, this is the, one of the easiest touchdowns you could possibly have. Uh, like Travis has said on our board, it's a hot route. You're just catching it. You're throwing it immediately. Texas State wasn't even set yet in their zone. No one was really there. And you're throwing it to Monterey Baldwin, who had such a good year last year. And he, on it, he... I mean, we'll, there were a lot of guys who disappointed. He very much so disappointed in this game. And that drop on first down, not only did he drop it, it leads to an interception. And really, at that point, you felt like if Baylor scores here, they're still very much in this game. Well, yeah, dude, it's a four-point yeah. game if
0: they score. I three, because they might have gone for two. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a 3 four,
1: I mean, Tomato, tomato, it's three or four
0: points. They're in this game with, you know, four minutes left, and all you have to do is get a stop. And I know easier said than done, but they had had at least done that, and they would have had all the momentum. So, yeah, uh, first play uh, from the goal line, and it's a pick. Whoever, you know, or however you want to break that down, it doesn't really matter in the long run, but there's a reason Monterey Baldwin didn't even start the game and uh, was not much of a factor. And this is the big highlight that you remember is, unfortunately, this play right here, Texas State uh, then Gets the ball back, obviously, huge break for them. Three and out, they punt it away, and at that point, uh, the clock, you're down 11. It's not on your side, but even still, uh, able to you know get the ball at least to midfield before Sawyer Robertson on a scramble, just trying to make a play, uh, gets stripped, and uh, Texas State recovers. Caleb Culp uh, gets the ball back. And uh, that was the end of the game. Uh, That was the end of the threat, end of uh, there being any chance to to do anything. And that sealed the deal. 42-31, Texas State rolls into Waco, upsets the Bears. And going over it that way, you can see, like, the pivotal moments where, like, if this happens, but you know what? Every team that lost in America, for the most part, I mean, not the games that were like 69 to nothing or whatever, but any game that was relatively close, a couple scores or less, you can go, well, if we didn't throw three interceptions, we win that game. If we didn't do this, we win that game. There are some things legitimately here, especially the very first drive and then the, you know, the, the interception at the end where that's 14 points, or, or that's what? Uh, 11. 11 points. Guess what the final score was? Yeah. You lost by 11 points. So, that's just two plays, but look, give Texas State a ton of credit. Uh, Baylor, uh, not a great performance. Uh, Certainly not what you expected right out of the gates. A lot to learn from, a lot to get better from, Um, but a massive disappointment. The losing streak continues, and uh, this big offseason of change and and optimism uh, just got kicked in the gut right away. Um, And for a fan base that's just kind of wanting – they just want something to grab onto – It's like you just keep playing keep away with them or something. And it's to the point where I think a lot of the frustration on Saturday night was, yes, that you lost to Texas State, but it was the style in which you did it. And it was just at at that point as well of, like, like when are we supposed to see some results here? It's been since the Oklahoma game that you've seen, like, a a win, much less, like, a a relatively good showing. I know TCU, you know, you can argue. That's an outlier. That's an outlier. That's an outlier. Yeah, I mean, you got mix, blown yeah. out by K-State. You got destroyed by Air Force. I mean, so that's, I think, the bubbling up of everything and uh, not the result you wanted. So 42-31. And afterwards, we did learn Blake Shapin out for a couple of weeks, if not three weeks, um, and, you know, a couple of other injuries as well uh, right. that will play in. Devin Lemire, safety's going to miss two to three weeks of the dislocated elbow. Garmin Randolph's going to miss one to two weeks with a high ankle sprain. So a couple of your key starters on defense now out as well, and your starting quarterback, and the Utah Utes rolling into town, Grayson. So Utah on the docket. Where do we go from here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I do want to mention on the Baylor fan base is I think Baylor fans are just looking for consistency. Yes, and that's been probably the biggest thing, and that's been a problem with Baylor for a long time now. You know, even when Rule was at Baylor, it was like ups and downs, ebbs and flows. Uh, you have a great coach, you lose a great coach, and so consistency. And so to go from you know winning the Big Twelve championship to the disappointment that was at the end of last year, and for it to just seemingly to be continuing into this year, uh, it's a problem. And something that has to be addressed, and again, my biggest problem with this game, you can lose games, but the manner in which you lose games speaks a lot about your program and where you're at. And they did not come out with the focus they needed, the technique, the drive, the hunger, the energy. Texas State wanted this game way more than Baylor did, and it showed. So now, moving into this week, I think I've mentioned this a lot on the board. I've mentioned it multiple times. Was the team that we saw from Baylor week one, Is that truly who Baylor is? Or going into week two, are we going to see a completely different team? Essentially, was week one a fluke? This happens all the time in college football. You know, you got a lot of kids, you know, 19 to 22, 24 years old that do have inconsistencies. It happens. We saw Kansas State lose to Tulane last year. Tulane ended up being a really good team. I understand that. But still, Kansas State shouldn't have lost that game. We see these things all the time. So now can Baylor regroup Adjust, make corrections, and actually turn into a at least decent football team that can come out and compete against a what I, I think most people would believe to be a really good Utah team.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm more optimistic after having a couple days to cool down and listening to Aranda and all that. But I gotta tell you, man, like I can only and I like him a lot, but I can only listen to so much more of like what could be or what will be or what I. I think everybody just needs to see some results, man. And um, this is a huge opportunity, a great team rolling in, future Big 12 conference mate. There's extra sizzle that when this game was scheduled, you didn't realize it was going to be there. Um, Now you know this is a team you're going to be playing for the next few years. There's nothing but respect. Uh, Dave Aranda knows Andy Ludwig, their offensive coordinator, very well. And everybody just in general knows Kyle Whittingham and Utah football and uh, what they're going to be bringing to town. And if the team that we saw against Texas State shows up, they're going to get destroyed by Utah. And there's going to be a lot more injuries and there's going to be because they're just going to come in and just beat everybody up. Um so I expect a, a much better showing and I think that if you don't see a much better showing, barring that Utah's like a CFP level team by week number 2 and it's just like wow, like they're special, which I don't think's the case when they're on their third string quarterback at this point. Um I am expecting a massive improvement in in what we saw from from last Saturday and and I think everybody should expect to see that because if this wasn't a wake up call and this isn't gonna shake you, you know, awake and and get you, you know, on on course, then I, I don't know what's going to. Um and Utah's not gonna come in here with anything but a nasty physical uh, strong, well-coached effort, and, and Baylor's going to have to reciprocate that and play above their heads, particularly
1: above the way they played last week. Definitely. So, I mean, looking at Utah, they, uh, they dominated Florida in Week 1. Make no mistake about it. That game was not as close as the final score even said. It was 24-3 to until late in that game. Florida scored a garbage-time touchdown. Utah dominated. And it was very clear from the very beginning that Utah was not going to allow Florida to run the football. They were going to force Graham Mertz to beat them. And I kind of think that's what they're going to try to do to Baylor uh, this upcoming week. I think they're really going to come out, try to be physical up front, try to dominate Baylor's offensive line, which Texas State was able to do. And Utah's got an elite defensive line, even though they were missing, I believe, two starters and two depth guys week one against Florida. We'll see if those guys are back. Uh, But in general, this is a much different challenge for Baylor on the defensive side. I mean, on the offensive side, the question is, Really, are they able to just get a better performance? Because, again, I I mean, if that's the team that Baylor is, the team that we saw week one, then there's nothing they're going to be able to do against Utah. There just simply isn't. They're going to have to be a very different team going into this week, much more physical, much more focused, and have a lot more drive uh, up front. I will say one thing that does matter to me in this matchup I think Texas State was a terrible matchup for Baylor, and I think they exploited things in Baylor's secondary that some teams on the schedule will be able to do, such as Texas, such as Texas Tech. But I don't know that Utah, especially with a backup quarterback, is really equipped to spread Baylor out. The way that Texas state did. I think you're going to see much more run heavy formations. You're going to see more tight ends on the field. You're going to see more of a play action approach into this matchup, which I think actually favors Baylor's defense far more than the matchup against Texas state. That's kind of what you got to hope for, I think, is that they're unable to kind of hit on the matchups, the specific matchups that Baylor allows, as often as Texas State did. Um, And again, like you said, if they're on their third-string quarterback, it gives you a shot that maybe he'll make some mistakes, maybe you can force some turnovers. Um, But again, this all comes down to, can Baylor be much different than they were in Week 1? I'm optimistic they will be kind of like you are. Um but I don't know if that'll be enough to win it. I'm I'm still kind of torn on whether I think a team can change that much in one week.
0: Yeah, uh I don't I don't know that they can. So, um you know, we'll see. I, I just think that um you know, it, it, in some ways it is what it is, but there's certainly room for improvement. So, mm-hmm. um what do you want to highlight about Utah? Uh, or do you want to get right into the mailbag here? We'll,
1: we'll talk a little bit more about Utah. They got two quarterbacks. Uh, assuming Rising doesn't play, he's going to be a game-time decision, I think. My bet is he doesn't play in this game. I think they wait a little bit longer, probably till conference play, because they have that luxury um, to do that, especially after being Florida and then you know, Baylor not looking as good in week one. So they got Bryson Barnes, who's more of a par- pocket passer. Uh, he didn't really impress me too much, but he did have a huge play, a 70-yard touchdown very early in that game. Might have been the first play of the game from scrimmage. Um, but he only threw for 159 yards. And then they have Nate Johnson, who's more of the runner. Uh, he ran for 45 yards and a touchdown. He's pretty explosive, pretty tough to deal with. But I think what we saw in week one, a lot of people were worried about Malik Hornsby. And I actually talked to you guys on the radio last week and said, I was much more afraid of TJ Finley. And it turned out, you know, Baylor probably should have been more focused on TJ Finley than Malik Hornsby just because Baylor's true weakness is in the secondary and you can spread them out and really exploit matchups. And I think TJ Finley was able to do that. So I think Utah's probably going to roll with Bryson Barnes a lot in this game. Uh, I think they're going to try to throw it, try to run the ball in normal sets instead of running a bunch of RPOs. Um, that's just kind of my my anticipation going into this game. Um, But yeah, they're a physical team. They're going to play hard. Their strength is truly up front on their defensive line. Um, I will say this though, that was interesting about the game against Florida. Graham Mertz, not a good quarterback. Not good. I I do not view him as being very good at all. Uh, He threw for 333 yards. Now, Florida only ran for 13 yards, so that tells you about Utah's front. But I do think there are some weaknesses in the secondary that you might be able to, to exploit. Um, so we'll see if Sora Robertson can take advantage of that because I was encouraged by Baylor's wide receivers uh, in week one. There was a lot left on the table. Uh, if there weren't as many quarterback pressures, I do think this could have been kind of like a 500-yard, a 500 550-yard passing day for the Baylor offense against Texas State. Unfortunately, they didn't get those opportunities. So we'll see if guys like Keetron Jackson, Hal Presley, uh, Jonah Burton, Monterey Baldwin, and Drake Dabney can really come up big uh, for this team because there will be opportunities to potentially throw for 300 and some yards against Utah.
0: Yes, uh, there will be opportunities, but uh, man, uh, there's going to be few and far between. When you get them, you better take advantage of them. It's a very good team rolling into town, Uh, and I think uh, you know we can help preview this game in some ways uh, with uh, some of the questions that we've got this week, so let's dive into those and uh, get through all of your comments and concerns and everything in between, but um, I did see Cam Rising is... Getting better, but it's still very much a long shot that he'd be available to play, but they're at least out there teasing that he's recovering and he's on course. practicing in full, is what
1: they said. In full for the first time this week, uh, game time decision is what it looks like.
0: Yes, so uh, I just had
1: the questions in front of me here. Oh, I got you with the first one, Craig. So the first one, Scotty B, the Baylor King, uh, the BearCast questions. Uh, Scotty B, the Baylor King, if you can give a reason why Baylor will win over Utah, what would it be? Um, Plain and simply, I think if Baylor is going to beat Utah, then it's really going to come down to a couple things. First of all, they're going to have to be way different than they were uh, this past week. They're going to have to change that up. They're going to have to be more physical up front. And if they can do that, I do think that they will have opportunities, like I said, to make plays in the pass game. And I think that's the biggest area where they can attack Utah is throwing the football um, and being able to take advantage of explosive plays. I think that's the biggest way Baylor wins this game. They're also, again, I think Utah will play more to Baylor's strength on the defensive side, uh, trying to turn around, hand the ball off, run, play action. I think Baylor's better equipped to to deal with that. So, it uh, also goes on to say, I say Baylor
0: should absolutely go into this game with absolutely nothing to lose and play their hair on fire because the pressure is on Utah. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the pressure's very much yeah. on Baylor, though, as well. I think at this point, um, you know, again... Uh, love Aranda, but five straight losses. I mean, it's just, I think that says it all, you know. Um, I think uh, poll everybody and most everybody, and there's some that just want rah-rah guy or they want different style or whatever, but I think most would just like, yeah, they'd love for him to have some success, but there's also reality, and there's, hey, SMU's now a Power 5 team as well, and, you know, TCU was just in the playoff, and Tech's got momentum, and I know they lost, but, you know, there's, they like who they have, though. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not, there's no hot seat for Joey McGuire anytime soon as opposed to where Aranda is currently. So you got to look around you as well. And it's like, how, how far do you slip before you go like, oh, wow, we lost a lot of ground. We better. And you know, five straight losses. You're starting to kind of approach that point. Big cheese, 83. A lot of people have questioned Rhodes' recent performance. Do you think this is warranted or mostly an overreaction? I assume talking about Mac Rhodes, obviously. Yeah.
1: I I don't know why this is all put on Mac Rhodes as far as, you know, hiring and stuff. I actually, I do like the hires that he's made. I I think Mac Rhodes is a great athletic director. I think a lot of people are also upset about the fan experience at games. Um, I've heard that comment a whole lot. Um, oh, there's
0: nothing I could care less about. I know,
1: I know. But I, I, I think it's overreaction, personally. I, I think Mac is a very, very good athletic director. And, you know, he's going to make tough decisions if he has to.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's certainly feeling pressure. He hired Dave Aranda. Um, you know, the last guy he hired, he went pretty well, but then he left. And so then you went and you made another hire. And this hire is very much in in a weird place right now. So between that, there's also the angst over you know, Kim still, and, um, you know, I, I think that uh, there's reasons to go like, hey, is this still going forward? Like, is this still on an upward trajectory? I can understand where some people are coming from with that compared to what it was, you know, when they were in New Orleans celebrating a Sugar Bowl and the feeling then. It has dipped down a bit, but did a great job in navigating realignment. You can't not consider that into the grand scheme of things. Uh, so I think there's at least things to point out and go like, you know, maybe slip here and there, um, but uh, in terms of like, um, you know, having having some criticism, I think is warranted. I think you know, going way overboard with it, like need to be fired. I think that's like, let's let let some things play out that's a little further. For, for, yeah, that, that's, yeah a, that's, that's a that's a knee jerk to one yeah. week, but I know for some it's it's build up as well. Dak JD ninety. I'm at this point afraid for Sawyer's body facing a great pass rush against Utah. What can the coaches do with their offensive calls? Offensive play calls to protect him.
1: This is going to sound pretty crazy, but I think it's actually run him. Um, Running RPOs, giving him read option ability, um, allowing him to kind of dictate when he's getting hit, I think, is a big thing. and. Obviously, they're going to have to find ways to get him out of the pocket. They could not do that to save their lives against Texas State. They couldn't get Blake Shabin out of the pocket because it felt like the edge was still um, not being set by the Baylor offense line. It was being set by Texas State. They have to be able to get him on the move, rolling out. And so I think if they're able to do that, it should allow Sawyer to at least dictate when he gets hit. And that's the biggest thing. Obviously, in – situations where you know you're going to have to throw the football, uh, the offense line just, frankly, is going to have to be better. I mean, that that's the only way you're going to be able to protect him against something like that. Try to get the ball out quickly, I guess, is one way to do it. Uh, but, again, they have to hold up in this game because there are going to be opportunities down the field that they have to hit on, but they have to be given time to actually hit on those plays. And, I mean, we didn't even talk about this in the Texas State game. But they were so bad up front that they couldn't even run play action, which has been the biggest staple of Jeff Grimes' offense when they've been able to take deep shots downfield. And they couldn't even use that with Hal Presley and Keetron Jackson, which was really baffling and and something that really hurt them. Uh, Bear sack. uh, Level of deflate can't be overstated at this point. Do you see a path to six wins? Again, it all comes down to, is this week one team actually who Baylor is? Because if that's the case, no way. There's no way they're winning six games. But if that was just a fluke, they didn't show up, they didn't play well, and they come out and play much better this week and compete, I do see a path to six wins because the schedule is, frankly, not that hard.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's going to hinge, I think, a lot on this week and what they look like, yeah. honestly, um, because you can't take that week one as just like, oh, that was a bad performance, and this team's actually much better But I think we're going to find out very quickly. If they come in here and get steamrolled, then, yeah, there's no chance that you're seeing where six wins is coming from. It's hard to see even after this first week because you look at just next week against Long Island, and that's really the only game you're, like, guaranteed. You're like, they'll win that one. But beyond that, based on what we saw, there's nothing that you go like, oh, they're for sure beating this team, or they're for sure beating that team. So uh, to answer your question, revisit this after Utah, and we can talk about it and have a much uh, better uh, set of – you know, uh, circumstances to, to help form that opinion.
1: Yeah, and I think people got to also remember, I mean, if Baylor goes 2-1 and one in the non-conference, that's basically what most of the people expected right. anyways. But, I mean, even if they don't win this week, it really is, like you said, just about showing something, right? Something yeah. more than what we saw in Week 1. Ginger Bear, I like
0: Coach Aranda, want him to succeed, but there's no doubt his seat is heating up after that loss to Texas State. In y'all's opinion, what would have to happen for Aranda to be fired, one, midway through the season, or two, after the season – if we end up 1-5 after facing Tech, K-State, TCU still on the road, uh, then I don't see how Aranda stays at Baylor, especially if the defense is still awful. Um, again, I'm not saying Aranda should be fired. We can definitely turn this ship around, but after Saturday night, 6-6 six and six looks like our ceiling when it should have been our floor. Thanks for all that you do, Sikkim Bears. Well, thank you, Ginger Bear. Do appreciate you. So, what would it take to be fired midway through the season or after the
1: season for Dave Aranda? I don't think he's getting fired midway through the season. Yeah, I, I don't either. Wait I think after. I
0: think that would be like they're zero and seven or something like that. You know? Yeah.
1: If they go zero and seven, yeah. If they lose to Long Island, okay. Okay. Yeah, well, we'll see. Ya. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yes. One and six or something. Right. No, I get you, but yeah. after the season, I I think you have real questions if you go four and eight or three and nine. Like really, really tough conversations, and you got—I mean, Mac Rhodes would have to be very convinced, uh, in my eyes. But you know, outside of that, I, I think that he'll be back at Baylor. Yeah, if it's not, Wait. you know, three and nine, four and eight. Mm, we'll see.
0: Uh, Baylor ninety—I think it a lot depends on how all that takes. How does three and nine happen? How, how does do you play? Yeah, yeah. Um, Baylor ninety-one because, dude, at some point, you got to be like, all right, you know, we're. We're four and nine in our last thirteen mm-hmm. games, and we're like the sixth best team in Texas at this point, And there's no momentum to speak of yeah. whatsoever. Like you, that that's the thing about if it's about who I like and want want to to be the coach and who I think is a great fit, it's Dave Aranda. But I also know like this is college football, big time college football, and you can't sit on your hands and just be that patient all the time. You know, this isn't the Northwestern job. Yeah, uh, you know, if you want it to be, then be the Northwestern job and. We don't need to talk about hot seats right now, but I don't think that's what they're intending to be. And until that changes, then I'm going to approach it as though they're trying to be a Big 12 you know, team every single year that's near the top of the standings,
1: and the trajectory they're on right now is, is not that. Yeah, and the transfer portal allows new coaches to come in and compete yeah. quickly. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely can see it. I mean, he's on the hot seat for sure right now. Baylor 91, I think the only
0: way he survives is if he convinces Mac he can and will fix the defense, but then the offensive guru needs to go, and not because he can't produce top 30 offenses, uh, but because to fix recruiting, we need something sexy to sell. And in Texas, that's offense. We can't have both. The different head coach and boring offense nobody wants to play for. Offense is not the issue as much right now, but I think the recruiting numbers I saw in the other post tell me that high three- and four-star studs on offense aren't looking here either. Big-picture problems, not just Dave. So there's Baylor 91. Wayne in, Lomer super fan. What are some things to be optimistic about? If the Bears would have lost due to blown coverages or something, I could find some positives, but in reality, they got whipped physically.
1: Yeah, I mean, physically, mentally. Got out-coached. The the out-coached, out-schemed, the focus wasn't there. Hustled, out-played, out-energized. Everything. Yeah, I think the part to be optimistic about is honestly just hedging the bet that that's not who they are. I that's mean, that, it. that's it. That's, <laughs> that's the only much thing. Because again, if that's who they are, I mean, it's going to be a terrible season. Yeah, like period. I don't want to
0: sugarcoat it. If that's who they are, and there's not some big bounce back, then I don't. There's there's nothing to tell you. Then then we'll be talking about how there isn't anything really. Right. Um, next week, uh, that's why again so much of these questions will will revolve around how they play this weekend because the the first taste we got in our mouths with that texas state game was a bad one and so it's all about the response now at this point and that's the path that we will go down um but yeah lomer super fan um you know just that that was a bad game and they're gonna play way better and they're a better team that's what you have to to hold on to for right now but the proof will be in the pudding
1: yeah quickly just pass game you can be optimistic about that that's that was the only thing that i took away that was like okay the receivers quarterback play tight end it looks better
0: yeah the the uh you know Drake Dabney performance outside of the throw, which we he didn't tried. even get into. Yeah, You know, yeah, the receivers played tougher and made some tough catches. Uh, but, um, yeah, that, outside of that, it was kind of few and far between. DWH 1845, the athletic department doesn't seem to listen to the fans, or if they do, is toned after their concerns. Do you think they are aware of just how disgruntled the fans truly are? I mean... I think they are at this point. Yeah. I also think, like, just being, like, in the middle and seeing, you know each side is that there's sometimes there's stuff that fans complain about that just you don't have the time to sit and bog down and worry about. Like, the game day experience thing, I understand, but that's not why everybody's pissed, guys. You're pissed because they lost. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest about it. You're not worried about, like, water bottles and blah, blah. You're mad because they lost. And so I think what often happens is you lose, and there's all these things to be concerned about. But then it's like everything that you can want to get off your chest gets off. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like they care, but it's like one thing at a time. You know, the game day experience, I get, but I'm just never a part of it. So to me, I think a lot of it's the frustration from the game. I think that they know that. I think Mac Rhodes will reflect that when he's on the show later on today, that they are very much thinking about the direction of where everything's going right now. But I don't think they're not listening to fans. I just don't think that they can, every time somebody complains about, like, how halftime goes – they can, like, set aside, and you, you see yes, what I'm trying to I, say I here? 100%. Yeah. I'm, yeah,
1: everyone is mad because of the results. Yeah, not, and it's
0: always the game day atmosphere when there's a loss. If and Baylor just, was
1: winning every game, winning the Big 12, no one would
0: care. Exactly, and and that's just how I've felt about it for a while now. I know there's legitimate reasons. There are things that could be better, but I just don't feel that that's really where that angst is coming from. I think it's it's over the results, and in that, in that way, he absolutely is aware. I, I can promise you that. Ice-T Bear, um just reflecting on the game day experience and how tailgating went and tailgating guys and all of that. And Hey, respectfully, I understand. Um, but I just, I, I don't, I don't have anything to add to this because I'm not a part of, uh, of that in any way we're doing the pregame show. And again, I don't think that that's the big issue, but I do understand for those who pay their money and want to have a certain type of experience, uh, why there's frustrations, but, Um, I don't I don't know Um, that that seems like a situation where they're not changing back. And this has been like three years now of the the same thing. So uh, I don't don't know, uh, honestly, how to how to help out there. useless Kim degree Have either Mac, Dave or or Heather, Dave or Mac addressed the fan experience. (laughs) Do you think there's a way to improve our fan experience to manufacture energy for this team? It feels like the team and staff cannot generate their own. Well, that's the problem. Yeah, it's not the music. The crowd was there, and they were ready to pop, and the brand of football on the field didn't allow them to. That's what the fan experience was was most wrong with the fan experience on Saturday. Um, it's not going to change if they suddenly play more hip-hop. No. Like, that. Uh, suddenly they're going to tackle better. So I think in some ways you've answered the question – um, but as I just addressed, they, they are aware, and this is not a new concept. And, I, again, I, they're not flipping from tailgate guys, and, and that's not going to change. But I can promise you what would make everything seem better, a better football team and a better
1: performance. Yeah, and after talking to recruits, they felt like the stadium was really loud on Saturday. Dude, so were, it, people it, were ready to go. It it's wasn't quiet. They it's had nothing to nothing. root for. They had nothing to root for. No energy from the team.
0: No. Right. and I, I think that there was, you know, and it didn't help that, you know, yeah, the student section cheering for Sawyer Robertson like oh. one drive in when clearly the quarterback issue wasn't the problem, but no I think I bring them up because
1: they were they were into it Wrongly in some ways, but that that's just that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. Because if you watch that game, that was baffling to me that those yeah. that the students were doing that you you can't do that. Like, and it was very quick too. It, it was like two drives in. So and it was quick, already, and then you look back and you go, "Ooh, we messed that one up." Yeah. yeah. Uh, John Crazy.
0: Farmer Bell, do you think Muschamp could be a good fit at Baylor? Dak responds, "We might as well be asking about <laughs> Tom Herman, I roll But um, no. any thoughts on Muschamp? No, Muschamp wouldn't be a good fit. For I me. also don't think you're going defense. If like if we want to get into that, I don't want to do that conversation right now uh because if there's going to be that conversation we'll have time for that conversation but to answer your question you're not going defensive-minded guy right after the defensive-minded guy who followed a defensive-minded like if anything they need an offensive head coach in here
1: in the worst way you're going to make a change ties probably
0: yeah which you're
1: finally probably going to again
0: that's another that's another conversation but it just feels like is everybody in the state going to have their joey mcguire you know at that point um but again another conversation for another day Uh, James Taylor, I've been critical of Aranda. I know y'all are higher on Aranda's recruiting. How does Aranda write the ship and how does he recruit at a higher level outside of 2021? Aranda's record has been awful and it seems like we have no energy behind on preparation. Give me hope in this staff.
1: I mean, I, I think the way that Aranda's is going to have to build this is they're going to have to be better than they were in week one. So obviously, you're just kind of hoping that things turn here and that they aren't that team that we saw in week one. But in general, you know, riding the ship, I, I really think it comes down to a couple things. I don't think that they've evaluated players to the level that they probably need to. And that includes the transfer portal. That includes guys on their roster. That includes recruits. All of it. They have not evaluated players the way that they need to be able to. Because if you look at it, you know, Aranda said, we kept our guys last year, didn't bring in transfers. Well, you kept those guys because you believed that they were good players. That did not work out. Now you went to the transfer portal, added, you know, 13 guys from the transfer portal, and you didn't see huge improvement from it. And so, or at least you didn't in week one. I, I think over the course of the year you'll see some flashes here and there. But in general, I think player evaluation is the biggest thing because you got to be smart in how you use your NIL, who you recruit, who you go after. All of those things are very important. And then also after you evaluate players developing them, which I actually trust Aranda to do because we've seen that in 2021 where they were terrible in 2020 he developed those guys they got a lot better Um, but evaluations I think are are a part where he is maybe struggling right now and obviously the other part is getting guys ready on game day that's been a huge concern of mine over these last you know five games six games
0: yeah I mean he sounded confident in the recruiting when he talked to Smokey Uh, he still believes in the types of guys they're also and I think the big point of contention will be the the person over player and the fact that they are eliminating some types of players yeah Right out of the gate, and you know, I don't know if like that's those guys they wouldn't get anyways, or if they're costing themselves by trying to fit you know a, a square peg mm-hmm. into a square hole. Does that make
1: sense? I, I can understand. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Where you're just taking guys because they're good people and maybe not well, no, the best athletes you can. But take. But
0: you're you're limiting your options because you have this other caveat of it's not just going to get the best players. You're also looking for a specific. Which I, type I, of guy who fits Im-
1: into what you do. And it is important, as we saw in 2022, where their culture wasn't good. Right. And so it is important and something that they are going to continue to address, but you still have to be able to evaluate guys. Yeah. Like, you can find good people who are also great athletes, great football players. They just haven't hit as much, at least not yet.
0: Yeah, they haven't, and, you know, there's the NIL. I mean, also you look around like, hey, it'd be nice to have a Barron on this defense. It'd be nice to have Byron Murphy on this defense, guys who were commits that they couldn't hold on to. So that goes to NIL. That goes to just recruiting in general as well, but, you know, they do have – they're not Stanford or Northwestern or something like that, but they do have a little bit of a of a hole they're trying to to fit their their players through, that they're not just taking anybody – because there is that concern or that focus on the culture side of things. So um, there, there is as, that aspect of it that you can agree with or disagree with, but I think that there are definitely benefits to that, uh, yeah. but not just taking anybody. Um, Garrett Bear, any idea of why we used the same intro video as last year? <laughs> Seemed that there was a lot of talk about improving in-game atmosphere, but still seems stale, but this is the least of our worries. Love the show, guys. Keep up the great work. Garrett, appreciate you. Uh, I'm glad you said this is the least of our worries, because that's where I'm, from. I'm coming from yeah. this week that I I understand why, again, I totally get it, Um, it's not as much of a focus for me because I don't have that experience that people just watching in the stands uh, get, and it's just, you know, I I show up like right before because we're doing the pregame, so I I don't know about like the the game day experience, I just know that that always becomes a very hot topic when they're losing games, and that I don't think that intro videos change the outcome of the Texas State game, but I understand where you're coming from, and and you even said at the end, it's the least of our worries, and uh, as far as the vid- video goes i i saw that is that was, was the same the video the same one
1: which was i mean really that is kind of low good. effort if we're yeah. being honest
0: here that's pretty that's that's pretty good. low effort um maybe you just really liked it i guess yeah. but that is kind of
1: honestly <laughs> new video for a new year can we can we do that they're probably going to have it for the utah game and i mean that's that's a problem right like why didn't you have it for texas state but you know with the energy of the team it you know you you kind of maybe there's something it to just, it I, I don't know everything was flat everything yeah you know? yeah
0: I mean, so there's something to that. I'm not trying to dismiss that. It's just I not a focus of, of my my experience. Ginger bear, Baylor seemed less athletic, less talented than Texas State, especially on O line and D line, as Johnny Carter and Austin Novasat fiascos are two more recent recruiting struggles. Considering what we saw this weekend, both on and off the field, what problems do we have with recruitment and how serious are they? What can we do to improve recruiting, especially in regards to the transfer portal and NIL so that we're competitive with other Texas schools? I know we can't just buy five stars like UT or A&M, but we need to attract good players and we can develop into
1: great playmakers. I mean, I, I don't agree with the the Texas State part. I, I don't think that their offense line, defense line were more athletic, more talented. I don't. I, I think, te- honestly... They were definitely bigger and stronger. I mean, they might have played stronger. I think they wanted it a lot more. I also think Texas State would probably trade almost everyone on their offensive and defense line for Baylor's guys on the offensive and defense lines. I don't know about the offensive line, brother. That was a team that was way bigger up front than Baylor. was. I I just, I I firmly believe that. Okay. I firmly believe that now maybe they fit different schemes, whatnot, but yeah, yeah, no, they're absolutely taking Gabe Hall and TJ Franklin and you know, that's what's happening in my opinion. So, uh, but I do think, you know, looking at the the recruitments and how serious are they, I, I don't think they have some massive problem with recruiting players. I really don't. I think they've been fine with that. Kids are super attracted to Baylor. They love what Baylor has to offer, but I think their issues again are just player evaluations, you know, finding the right guys who not only fit your culture but are also really good athletes. Really productive players who you can plug and play into your scheme. And I think that's what we saw from Texas State was they had a lot of guys who fit perfectly in what they were trying to do. That's the key thing. And I think what we saw on Saturday, the offense line struggled because, plain and simply, you're playing a lot of young guys. Guys who haven't played before and hoping that it worked out. Whereas you could have gone to the transfer portal, found some older guys, and maybe played those guys in those positions, and maybe they would have been more ready for week one. That's kind of where I'm at with the recruiting side of things. You have to pick and choose your spots, but in order to do that, you have to be able to evaluate your roster with an open mind, I think. That's kind of my biggest thing on it.
0: Yeah, I feel like, um, I mean, you're right. If I select players, like, yeah, it'd be nice to have Gabe Hall, I'm um, sure. Uh, it'd be nice to have T.J. Franklin. But I think as a unit, as a fit, as a scheme, I mean, yeah, they were definitely better off on that side of the coin than the Baylor Bears were. So that that is a concern that they were able to, in one year, just find guys, pluck them, get them in the scheme, boom, zoom like that right out of the gates. And you're sitting here with players who are four and five years in, and it still feels like it's like they're still learning the defense sometimes. It's just –
1: that's that's concerning. I think, again, they brought in a lot of guys from Incarnate Word who had already been in that scheme, so they were extremely knowledgeable in what they were trying to do, and they did that, right? The defensive line versus Baylor's offense line was extremely baffling, but again... I think it was more scheme oriented. They were extremely prepared for the wide zone compared to it being talent oriented. Like I don't see, your, I don't think you're going to sit back and see twelve Texas State guys drafted in the NFL draft. I just think they were very well prepared for what they were going to see from Baylor, and it, it bared out. Baylor didn't know who to block because yeah. they didn't know they didn't know where their keys were. It was honestly baffling.
0: It was. I would just say this, and you're right about the scheme and the fit and the talent and all that, but Baylor's also not going to have 12 guys drafted off this football no, team. Not, they, they, sure they, they have very little NFL prospects yeah. on this team right now, um, and that that in itself is another sign of mm-hmm. kind of like what's going on here because you look at this upcoming draft. Weren't Garmin, Randolph, and Gabe Hall and all these guys supposed to be big draft picks by the time their, their careers were winding down, yeah. and they are not even on the radar whatsoever. No. So, TJ Franklin, nope. Randolph, nope. Hall, nope. I mean, none of these guys are... No anywhere close to draft discussion right now after five years. I mean, that's, that's a little bit concerning, um, in the grand scheme of things as well. Um, so, all right, two more questions and we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, here we go. Big cheese, 83. How many times have you popped up here? Oh,
1: It's just, it's just comments I okay. think until the end we can just read the end question. Okay. Um,
0: so, uh, big cheese. No, I was thinking of somebody else. Sorry. Um, Touched on the game day atmosphere, um, and that's, again, a hot topic. Uh, let's see. Alcohol policy. Yeah, I thought these complaints were just entitled fans being whiny, especially alcohol policy, but being at the game, I got what they were saying. Even during the rule years, we'd have inspiring movie scenes before third down, unique graphics, uh, felt more effort was put into production, felt more cohesive. Uh, everybody got energized. The OK Boomer, th- okay, we're getting into, like, 2019 stuff here. Um Nobody knows when to do certain cheers. Energy so much lower. I'm not a huge tailgate dude, so I won't get into that, but I'll take y'all's word for it. Can you think of why any of these changes were made? Was it a head coach's decision, or is there any way we can voice our opinions so they get heard by people who can change anything?
1: I mean, I think they hear it. They hear the complaints. We know they do, you know, absolutely. Yeah. But, I, again, I, I don't think that's the focus right now. Now, not having a new video for the start of the season I think that's pretty crazy but you're exact I mean this is what we've talked about ad nauseum through this thread it's the least of their concerns I think right now even though it can get better and it should get better
0: yeah I, I think everybody is within their right to want better and to expect better um, but I think this week that is not on the front <laughs> front burner of their concerns about the game this weekend um, but I, I do know they're listening. I do know at times they've addressed things, but I do know also that some things that are complained about just aren't going to change like yeah. either, and that's been made clear, and yet people still go to the well, and, and I don't know. Again, that's not really my area of expertise. Panther City Bear will close us out. Does Sikkim 365 have access to a stadium-wide mic to tell students to shut the blank up when they're chanting about wanting a new quarterback when the current starter is playing out of his mind? If you can't for professionalism reasons, then let me know, and I'll take care of it. All joking aside, where does Baylor even go from here in terms of O-line, D-line, and safety play? Another game of no pressure from the D-line, no life or focus at all from the O-line, and then Blake's out for a couple weeks. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel to get these things worked out at all, much less before Saturday? That's Panther City Bear, and they will close us out, and a a great question to end things here.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a crazy moment. We mentioned that earlier. There's no reason that the fans should have been cheering for Sawyer Robertson to come into the game. That was just so bad of the students and not something you ever want to see. Blake played such great football. Going out there with an MCL injury and still playing his heart out, he gutted that game out and really was the only reason that Baylor even had a chance in that football game. Now, as far as the offense line, defense line safety play, I think open competition is what's happening this week. I, I It better be happening. No one's job should be safe. I, I don't care if you came in yeah. here as a transfer and had all these accolades. No, it doesn't matter. You lost to Texas State, so now you got to come out and earn your job again. I think Eric Mateos, Jeff Grimes are going to have very interesting conversations this week about the offensive line, defensive line. The older guys need to step up. Gabe Hall, T.J. Franklin—that was just absurdly bad performance by those two guys who are supposed to be the keys, the anchors for the defensive line. They did not play well. They have to step up and, and turn that around. And safety play—you're losing your leader in Devin Lemire. So now these young guys have to find a way to step up. I expect some schematic changes in the secondary. I think you might bring in another cornerback. Uh, hopefully, Chateau Reed is back this week. That would be helpful. Uh, but I think in general, you know, you're just going to be relying on the same guys, but maybe change up the scheme a little bit to get a little more speed and creativity on the field so there you go um yeah I
0: I think you know students are students too they're also they're not locked in on Sikkim 365 you know they're not paying super close attention but I do hope that at least they got some people going like you realize like that was out of pocket right and like that was that was not cool and, and was not even accurate uh for for the you know the biggest reason was wasn't the problem at all. You kind of just looked dumb bad doing look. that. Bad look. Too. It was a bad I mean. look. I felt for Shapin's. I was like, dude, it's 30 seconds into the game and I'm, you know, kind of joshing there, but it was not, it didn't take long for those to start. No. And uh, I was just sitting there going, I was just shaking my head like, oh man, I, I just felt bad for Blake. And then he gets hurt later and now I feel really bad for him um, because he played well on Saturday and, um, I hope he can get healthy quickly and I hope that they can keep Sawyer Robertson healthy and that he can, you know, take advantage of this opportunity. But massive game coming up against Utah. And folks, like that first game was just so wild that it's like it's impossible to try to contain all of this in like one hour. Like I'd love to have another hour to spend and argue with you about game day experiences or about talent levels or whatever, but I think it's clear that the talent's not where it needs to be, the development's not where it needs to be, the recruiting's not where it needs to be, the results aren't where they need to be. And, you know, the other stuff that's not where it needs to be, like intro vids, like I think that that comes in time. And if you want to focus on that, I'm, I'm not disparaging that. But because of the things that I just rattled off, I think that's where everybody's minds are right now. Of Like, how do we get better? How do we get like players playing better? How do we as units play better? How does as a team do we play better? How do we get up for game day to the point of, of the game day atmosphere? I don't think that affects the fans and players in the same way. But what are they doing as a team? Like, what video are they playing in the locker room that's not getting these guys jazzed up? You know what I mean? Because they came out flat. It wasn't the fans. It was, like, the team almost made everybody flat with their performance more so than the actual...
1: But that's happened far too many times. No, I know, but... State Air Force... No, 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 but what I'm saying is, is
0: like, you think the videos, but, like, the team comes out so flat that I think that they kind of play into it themselves. And with their performance, it's like, you're all hopped up, ready to go, and then they don't really play off of that for you to play off of them, and and there's a disconnect there as well. So, folks, Mac Rhodes will be on the show today uh, on 365 Sports. He'll answer a lot of various questions. I'm sure some of it will be about Aranda, some will be about the game day, some will be about the expectations and, and all points in between, so that'll be an interesting listen and conversation. And, you know, Aranda said all the right things on Monday. Uh, obviously, some injuries, uh, especially to shaping that you wish were different, but... I just think everything boils down to this weekend, man. I think that's where you can just kind of sum up everything and we can revisit all the subjects, but so much revolves and is is based on what we see on Saturday against Utah, and that will answer a lot of questions or it will create a lot more, and in that case, and that then goes into another discussion. So who do you think wins this game? Utah, and I'm not even blinking when I say that. I do think that Baylor will play better, but I do think Utah wins this game. Big?
1: Comfortably. Comfortably By a couple scores, yeah. Okay. I think uh, they're a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. I think Baylor is going to find a way to play this game close because I think it's going to be low scoring. Um, that's going to require Baylor to play very well and play much better, obviously, than week one. Um, and I think Utah is a better team at home. So I'm curious to see them on a road with the backup quarterbacks. I think that could give Baylor a slight advantage. Uh, But, yeah, I'm going to take Utah, again, in a close one. Uh, Something like 24-20 to sounds about right to me.
0: I can definitely see Baylor playing within reason. I I just cannot possibly pick them after what we saw last week. Nor should you. I'm not picking, though, a blowout because I'm giving them their spec level that I think they are going to bounce back and play hard. Mm -hmm. I expect the crowd's going to show up because they know what a key game this is as well and and hopefully they're going to give you some reasons to stay and, and, and get involved and be yeah. you know crazy excited about what's going on but yeah give me Utah by like 10 like something along like 30-20 or mm-hmm. something like that is, is sort of where my head's at not a blowout but uh, not a win for the bears either and uh, I know I know we're pushing it but this game um, had a lot to it. Do you want to roll through picks here or
1: do we have time to roll through picks? Do we picks, have time Garrett? to even do that? That's up to you. I mean, we're, over an hour and 16 right now. Okay, so Okay, so no picks this week. Okay. We'll get them next week. Let's do um let's do quick run through just the quick game. So Alabama Texas, what do you have in that one? I'll give me Alabama in that game. I got Alabama as well. Oregon Texas Tech. Give me
0: Oregon, although that being in Lubbock makes me a little bit crazy, but uh, yeah, still give me Oregon after
1: they put up 81 in week 1 yeah. over Portland State. I'll take Oregon as well. Iowa Iowa State. Iowa, yeah, I'm going to take Iowa as well. Those are probably the biggest games. I think we hit on enough. We'll hit on more games next yeah. week. We'll be sure to go through the full slate, especially because we'll get to preview Long Island, so that won't be uh, as long of a challenge. Yeah, I mean, there's
0: this was if this was game would have gone any other way, then it would have probably been uh, easy to fit these all in. But man, that was a, a bad look on Saturday. Good news is there's another game to kind of cleanse the palate. And uh, hopefully that's what the Bears do coming up here on Saturday. Um, but yeah, not a good look. And now a huge opportunity as they will take on the Utah Utes in a preview of the future Big 12. And um, we'll have a lot to talk about one way or the other. Appreciate all of the questions. Um, appreciate all the concerns and the thoughts and, and everything else. Uh, we certainly uh, respect uh, where you're coming from and the frustrations and, and all of that. Um, it's understandable and... Uh, we're on this journey together, so stick with it, and we will talk about uh, Utah and what, you know, faces the Bears next coming up next week. But until then, thanks to Garrett Ross, thanks to Jack McKenzie, thanks to Grayson Gruenhafer. We'll talk to you next week. I'm Craig Smoke. This has been the BearCast on sikkum 365com